They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And I'm Pastor Paula Mamel. And we are here at our Bishop Convocation in Hyannis, Massachusetts. And we are sitting in person, which is fun to do, because normally we do it via distance and technology. So welcome, Paula. Glad you're, glad you're here. I am delighted to be here. Great. You are relatively new to our synod, which is great to have you here. Uh, I think at our Bishop's Convocation last year, uh, you were here for what, like one or two days? It was before. my first day. It was first your first day. My first yeah, that, day. That, yeah. Yep, I just dove right in. We want to let our audience kind of know about you and the work that you're doing in Hartford, Connecticut. So if you could just tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, where you serve, and, and something special about yourself. Something special about myself. <laughs> okay, um, well, I am Paula Mamel, and I already said that. And I am um, originally from Minnesota, uh, came to Hartford, Connecticut from uh, North Dakota, which is just so common. The number of North Dakotans I've run into in New England has just been, no, (laughs) I don't think I've run into any, but uh, some people born there. But I came here after 24 years, and that was kind of the question I got when I got here was, you came here from where? From where? Yeah. Is that a state still? (laughs) Yeah, that's a state. Well, and more that I was, hey, coming from, when I was going from North Dakota to to an urban congregation with a, a lot of a suburban membership and so um, I've been there for a year now and I'm at Emanuel in Hartford and I was very specifically I think called because um, our focus is to be in the city for good and it's a great amazing congregation that has um, just a really strong history of being actively engaged with the community but they wanted to uh, have a pastor who really took it to the next level as far as not just doing things for the community, but becoming connected with the community, becoming more collaborative in, mm. in our relationships. So that was that was one of the main reasons that they, they called me because my focus is really on um, how do you how do you live out your faith and how do you connect people so that we have a congregation that's diverse um, from a lot of suburbs and then people were trying to bring in folks right from the neighborhood and show that a lot of people can come together and do work for good. Nice. Nice. Yeah. nice. So what kinds of things does that include? Well, historically, the church had a had a building um, right next to the church. It was called Capitol Towers. It still is called Capitol yeah. Towers, but we no longer um, are in charge of it. It was built up to be originally a place for retired members to live in, but over the course of time, it really became um, for low-income elderly, a, a good space for low-income elderly. But uh, uh, about um, four years ago, they sold that property. Um, but throughout their their history they have really worked at engaging in life in the community with different programs and as i said right now we're working on new ways to to connect with that we're hoping to uh, open up the first food pantry that will be directly connected with Hands on Hartford so we don't have to become our own independent food pantry. Mm-hmm. We don't have to jump through all of those hoops. Um, and it'll be only open at the end of the month, the last Saturday of the month, um, so that people who are low on food will be able to come in, but also to reach out to people who are working from 9 to 5 or don't have the ability to go get their food at a distance and can come and get it right there. Right. Um, but the, the, the creative piece of it is um, we're satellite. 
and so we don't have to be licensed fully as a yeah. food pantry. And we can, so we're working on creative things like that. We're trying to use the space. The church hasn't been used as much, so we're using a, a space for mentoring programs. And we have our own programs, like a, a Saturday program where kids come in, um, run. It was predated me, and it's an amazing thing that gives kids breakfast and then activity and then sends them out with lunch, and we develop relationships with those kids. But one of the things I want to move beyond and one of the visions that we had was moving beyond um, having us do ministry for other people and having a lot of those folks become um, members of the congregation mm -hmm. and to develop that that attitude of it's not a hierarchical situation it's not a colonial situation yeah. it is um, an empowerment and it's been so exciting to see the kids come in and they're signing up to do communion and awesome. they're coming you know that, that, that have typically been served and they're becoming mm -hmm. together so that's been exciting that's great doing mm -hmm. ministry together yeah. Yes, exactly. The, and the images, and then there's a, a mutual learning. So we're going right. to be taking in some new members, and we've got folks who are from the community, from West Hartford, from around the area, and then kid, uh, people who are right from the neighborhood, folks from uh, that are African immigrants, and folks that have um, immigrated quite a long time ago. Um, so just a, a diverse, a diverse group. And the vision that I have is that, especially in this divided world that we can be a place that's that really has a variety of individuals working together in a common goal very cool mm -hmm. one of the the great things about the real estate where emmanuel is mm -hmm. located for those who don't know of know it at all is it's it's located directly across yep. the street from the state capitol bingo so we always say that the um the front opens up into the the seat of power and the back opens up into the most impoverished one of the most impoverished areas in Connecticut. And so we want to have a, be a place where those two meet. And um, we have people in the congregation of connections with the powerful, and we have um, those, and we really want to be connected with the powerless and be a place where those two places meet and really be in the city for good. Mm -hmm. I, I keep saying that, but that really is our focus as a congregation and in our in our outreach uh and so it's been nice like we did the march for our lives yep. uh uh was situated right out of our congregation because we can just walk across the street and we can have people gather and um as a pastor um, my general rule is if the elca has a social statement about it if the bishop has spoken about it um, i will be advocating for it on an issue of justice um and and focus to that so we and I'll just say at that event, I don't know if giddy is the right word, but mm -hmm. you had a smile on your face from ear to ear. You were so excited mm -hmm. to be there. <laughs> I was so excited to be there. And, and, the people, so were, and people were showing, showing up, up and we were, right. we were part of part And I of felt it felt good that you know we could be that place for um, for the Lutheran churches in Connecticut. And there were some ecumenical partners. And, and we're really working to do that. And we're working to figure out how we can make those connections to not just change um, the lives of a few people, to, but to work towards a systemic change. So, so just to talk a little bit about yourself, so people can get to know you a little bit better, and so can we. Um, what do you have like experiences that were like formational to, to that says like this is why you have such a passion for bringing people together like this? Well, it's funny because I was thinking. I figured you'd ask that question, and I was thinking all I ever wanted to be was a pastor. I mean, when I was three and four years old, I was like. 
uh, had a toilet, toilet paper stole and had <laughs> Wonder That's Bread awesome. and grape juice. And when I was five, I just wanted a King James Bible. <laughs> I wrote my first sermon at six. It was on the Good Samaritan. Um, it's all I ever wanted to be. But I was also politically engaged at a young age because when I was in kindergarten, I wrote a letter to President Nixon telling him that I did not think the Vietnam War was a, a very good idea. And so I, I wrote the letter and then I addressed it and I mailed it and then I told my parents about it. And my father was not an American at the time. Uh, so he had a five-year-old daughter who was writing protest letters to the president. Um, he later became he, he later became an American, but a citizen, but it was. Uh, so I think you would say from the very beginning that the dual passions of being politically engaged and um, seeing the church as an avenue from that. And it's always been part and parcel of who I was. Um, I went to Africa and studied in Africa and traveled around the world um, during my Midler year of seminary. I was creative enough to take a year off um, and then still graduate in four years because I was able to get credit and start an internship late. But I went with a vision of maybe I was called to the mission field because mm. I'd always had this global vision. Um, and, my, and, and I went there and I realized that I was really called to bring a global vision to this country, that I wasn't called mm. to the to the mission field, but I was really called to this country and specifically at the time to rural Minnesota and eventually to North Dakota. Um, so I've always carried that with me. Mm. I was um, president of a homeless shelter in Moorhead, Minnesota, and really worked. Um, I've always I've always tried to work with coalitions and not just our church to do it. We did a habitat build where um, it was the only ecumenical habitat build that they'd ever had um, ever and I think the upper Midwest where a bunch of different churches work together so that's just kind of ingrained to combine um, you know my sense of the, the gospel driving us to action with my um, with my passion so and I've always you know com combined the two and um, I'll be honest, I've, I've probably gotten more political in recent years than I ever imagined I would be because I was always driven by the gospel. But the, the gospel drives us to the door of politics right now. Right. And um, we, can't, we can't ignore when things are being done that are counter, that would make Jesus weep. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not going out of my way to do that. But if there are things that will make Jesus weep, how can we not talk about them? Right, right. A lot of pastors are criticized, perhaps, for being, quote-unquote, too political, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's on social media, whether it's in, you know, their sermons or, or mm -hmm. whatnot. What, what would you say to a pastor who is getting spoken to about that, who, who may feel as though they're being called to talk about the injustices that they see in the world or they, they hear about or they read by some unnamed folks on Twitter um, mm -hmm. and, and want to speak out against that, but are getting backlash from congregations? Um, well, you know, I, I, I actually faced that before I came here. I went to Standing Rock and I was in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, and Standing, Standing Rock was a place where the... Um, where where the Native Americans were defending their rights to their to have clean water, and um, and it uh, was not a popular thing. I, I 
honestly, for a lot of people, would have been seen as a, a liability because in North Dakota, standing up for Standing Rock was was not um, popular. And I was funny because I was there with Bishop Eaton and with six other bishops, and I yeah, went sure. on television and I blogged about it. Yeah. And um, and then when I was called here, I joked and I said they knew who I was um, because they read my blogs. Yeah. And um, I I have a Facebook presence, and my Facebook I know you're both Facebook friends of me and uh, of mine, and um, I'm very deliberate about um, anything that I do that's political, and I do political, but I don't just do political. I try to I try to always ground it in the gospel. Mm. I always try to ground it in statements from the ELCA. So I don't, I think for me, um, as a pastor, I can't avoid what the gospel tells me. And so when the gospel leads us in that direction, um, but you, but, but I find that if I ground what I'm saying in the word, if I ground it in ELCA statements, I I I look at Bonhoeffer mm. and I look at, at those who who stood up for um, the the essential values and I I can't look I can't look the other way so I try not to be personal in my attacks on individuals mm-hmm. I work to lift up people's better angels and so in a Facebook post I might talk about an action that is clearly unbiblical like i don't know putting children in cages for example just to pull one off and i will tie that into the fact that jesus was a refugee and that jesus fled violence and so if i can ground it and i'll and i'll say if if you're okay with certain things you need to reacquaint yourself with where jesus stood and who jesus stood with last sunday was the scribe you know the scribes and the Pharisees being condemned, and and it was because they had abused the widow's trust. Right. And what do we do with those who trust us, and how do we deal with those things? So those are the kind of things yep. that I'll I'll talk about, and those are the kinds of things I'll address. But I I always am careful to make sure it's not Paula's personal agenda. I'll always come back to certain passages: "Beloved, let us love one another, or do not grow weary um, in doing what is right." Um, and I, one of the other places is I'm always trying to see other people's humanity. So I don't want to demonize people with whom I disagree, mm. but I want to engage in thoughtful ideas. I mean, we might have differing opinions, but but when you go down the road of demonizing or isolating or refusing to see their innate human value, that's where I really struggle. So I come back to responding to people's better angels yep. and yep. i and i just believing in the power of people to have reasonable rational discussions i lived in a conservative area for i was a pastor in a conservative area for 20 years and i have wonderful friends who are all over the political arena but they're people of integrity right and they're people of right. honesty and that's what i keep calling people because we have we cannot normalize dishonesty we cannot normalize um, uh, abusive behavior. We cannot normalize uh, the tilt toward authoritarianism. And so it's basically saying, are you more concerned about your own your own needs or the needs of others? Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus right. is pretty clear about that. Yep. Yep. And yep. so if somebody came to me, it's like, what about this? I would say to them, well, what about this is counter to the gospel? Mm. What what would what would Jesus think about this? Because if you can tell me that Jesus would not would think it's okay to lie, or if you think it's okay, you know, and, and if they say, well, that's not a lie, well, let's go look at the facts. Let's right. talk about it. Let's let's engage in conversation, and and if we disagree over over principles, 
that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's helpful. It's helpful even, even for me, you know, as I look at things and post things on social media or whatnot, it's, it's easy to take some uh, link that you, you see and, and just kind of repost it or whatever, but to, to take it and to really think about it and, and to make a point and, and to state kind of your opinion, but through the lens of the gospel, is, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Framing it's like real. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah you've probably seen that that's what I Oh, I always do, and I usually tie it in to, and I and I admit, um, I I t- often tie it into a Christian base, even though I have people who are not Christians who are following me. But if you know me, you know that I'm I'm a welcoming individual, and I have a a, a broad ecumenical and a multi-faith view of of the world. But I see myself, and I really pride myself in the fact that um, I have friends on Facebook who cross the political divide, and they haven't unfriended me. Right. Because right. I'm not trying, I, I research, and if I make a mistake and and so, and I do something, somebody calls me into account because they do, and I'll say, oh, that was a mistake. I didn't research that, and then I'll engage in dialogue. And there's not a lot of that ugliness on my page yeah. where people are fighting each other, because they're. And if they do, then I'll, I'll engage and say, you know, this is not the right. venue for that. Right. Um, I want to talk about how we can bridge that divide and see each other's humanities. Cause I know my friends, um, people I love dearly and I want to remind them, what about your values? Is this okay to right. treat people like that? And what about your values says it's all right to support someone blindly, regardless of what they say, we need to be critical. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and then I also try deliberately in my Facebook presence to, to, um, you know, I use humor. I tell things about myself. I, you know, right. do the usual bragging about my kids, and yeah, I do all. You know, I do all. Do I do all of that stuff. But I really believe that Facebook is a ministry for me too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, we kind of look at it like that. Too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. about being a whole person and not just a part of yourself. But yeah, yeah. and I'll, and I'll share that, and I'll share my yeah. my brokenness. But I I see that as an outreach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think. A lot of our churches desire in their congregations is to be more diverse, and it sounds like that's something that you're working on, and mm-hmm. even having some success of of doing. I, I know that when I was before seminary, I was a youth director in Reading, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and our church was kind of similar to to Emmanuel, where a lot of the people who came to the church were from the suburbs, came into to the church, and we did a lot of great ministry there, but. Part of my job as a youth director was to reach out to the neighborhood kids and having mm-hmm. one of the struggles that I found in in trying to be more intentional about bringing diversity into the congregation is sometimes it felt like I had two different youth groups mm-hmm. because of the cultures, because of the um, the just the way that people carried themselves within their experiences in the church. I found that to be difficult in trying to merge those two cultures together or try to find a way to to um, have a unified youth group. Um, are, are you having some of those experiences? or and, and if so, what are you doing to, to work through them? Or, or how do you see the diversity playing within uh, Emmanuel? I am so blessed to have an amazing staff. And I just hired an out, we just hired an outreach coordinator who is herself an African woman. She's from um, Cameroon and Kenya, but she was uh, came over to the United States when she was 17. And she has been able to make that connection. And then we have the youth directors who were um, 
who worked with the kids from the volunteers from the congregation from beforehand. And what we've discovered is that the kids in the youth group, it's been remarkably unproblematic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's, um, and the kids, some of the kids can't afford some of the things that are from the neighborhood, but they come and they volunteer. They are at events like you would not believe showing up and, and helping out and um, being present. And the, um, and we're really working hard because the kids are having an easier time of that and and that's exciting and what a great great. way to lead forward we had a we had an event the other day last week where we had i think 20 25 kids together in the having a fun activity and focusing on those things but they're they're also going to be putting together bags for the homeless and they're they're really connecting on their human experience so it's yeah and and so it's and and i i attribute it completely the fact that we have these really awesome members who were leaders and then naomi comes in and she's able to connect and then it's it's been beautiful that's great that's Mm -hmm. great i really like your uh uh, the statement about being in the city for good because mm-hmm. it's got multiple layers of meanings right. of what, what that could be. I mean, being a, a positive in the community and also that we're committed to the comu- community yep. and a variation of other other things to go along with that. For communities that are still mm-hmm. hesitant to get involved in their surrounding community because their mm-hmm. people commute or they're worried about themselves mm-hmm. and, and trying to keep things going, do, do you have any suggestions or maybe some... Uh, wisdom you can share about trying to kind of bridge that gap of, of getting people out? I think I think that one of the number one things to do is to work on coalition building. I mean, that's that's really, I one of the things we've added with our youth director, we're inviting all the people from Hartford, and heck, if you guys want to come down from, um, you know, from where you're at um, to take part in our youth activities, because, um, and we're going, we, because we're blessed with the ability to have this person there and we have a great facility, but we're willing to travel around. And my attitude is we want to, Emmanuel wants to be a presence, not just for the city, but for the Synod. Mm, That's why we, that's why we wanted to host the March and we're not going out there trying to steal other people's sheep, but we want to provide you because critical mass is the biggest issue with youth. I mean, you get a couple of kids. Well, you bring your kids into our, you know, we have an activity a month. We have a lock in. Well, you cancel it because, you know, only four or five kids can show up. And, and so that would be from a, from the youth's perspective, but a lot of other activities when we work together and we bridge that gap um i think that's one of the things that we can do look at coalitions look at finding a church that's doing something successful um join them partner with them and and get into the city and then it doesn't have to be about anybody's ego i mean that's i for me it's like check your ego at the door and give a lot of other you know take all the take all the blame and um let all others people other people take the take the credit you know, right, right, and then right. as a church, that's what we want to be is just come on, join us. We, we want to open that up. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What are some other things that you're looking forward to or visioning for, for the future of Emmanuel? Um, well, I'm taking it literally being very deliberate and intentional and everything that we've done has come from the congregation. They knew, like I said, I am, I am the most, I am the least disingenuous person you can find. What you see is what you get with me. There's yeah. just no level, there's no layers. I'm not an onion. I, <laughs> I'm just there. Or an ogre. Or an ogre. Okay. I'm not an, I am not an ogre either. I, thank you. Uh, can I, can we, I'm going to put that on my loop on my phone. I am not an ogre. Um, but but we're, we're um, where was I going with that? Oh, um, uh, for the future. So I've been, I've been, everything that we're doing is what they 
the congregation wanted. It's my belief that if it comes in and it's my agenda, it's not going to work. So it's building those pieces. Um, but what what I hope is we're in the process of becoming um, reconciling in Christ. Um, the, I have a committee that's working on that and and um, driving that because it needs to be driven by by the the people. I am um, hoping that we continue to uh, work both with the the legislative um, with. Uh, possibilities of becoming engaged with justice issues. Mm -hmm. um, always making sure that any issue we engage in is supported by the congregation and the policies of the church. That's that's the key. Where do we stand as a church? Yeah. Climate change, things like that. Um, while continuing to use our space more and more to open up both places that we can have partnerships, symbiotic relationships, um, and opportunities to not just have it this incredible facility only opened for an hour a week. I don't think that makes Jesus happy. No, I mean, right. we need to use our space. and But I have to do that incrementally because I plan to retire from this congregation. <laughs> um, I plan to be there for a long time. So um, it's it's the process of, of getting buy-in, but I do this thing called the Shy Lutheran Ballot. Have I told you about no, this? No, no, it no. Is, it is the best thing when my old bishop did it. Um, a lot of times churches don't do anything because a one, one or two voices get right. really loud, and so Lutherans hear the loud voices and they retreat, and they're totally. like, okay, we're not going to do that. And so what we do is when there's an issue... Um, we we presented at a meeting, we did it with Art Reconciling in Christ, where we said, well, where are people at? And you use a one to six Likert scale, where one means I'm going to take all my marbles and go home if you do mm. this. And six is, why is this even a question? Yeah. Why are we even talking about this? And you you get there, you have them weigh in. So they rate one, two, three, four, and five, and six. And then you don't count the ballots. You just kind of visualize where they are. Mm -hmm. And so when we did this, we had one, two, a couple of threes, a few fours, and then a stack of sixes. And it was very clear that had the vote been um, been held, whether we would move forward with it, right. it would have been two or three to everyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then the two or three that you're not taking away, you're not taking away their individual vote, but you're taking away the power of being, loud. Right. Right. And you're and the shy people tend to retreat. And what happens is churches lose members because people who are on the sixth level, when nothing happens, they leave. Yeah. Right. Right. And they wander away because you're never going anywhere. Right. Whereas right. this is allows us to, so when I saw that, it's like, okay, we don't have to take years going to this process. We've got ninety percent of the people on board. Right. We need to do everything possible to get the other people on board. We're not gonna deliberately ignore them, but we're not gonna let them be the rudder. Right. Right. And and so in doing that, and I do that with everything, because then if I put something up, I'm not going to go forward when it's because if I'm the pastor who's leading and pushing them and it's not the congregation, it's not going to succeed. Right. But if there, but a lot of people are on board and they right. want to do it and they just need that nudging. And so there are all, always the people who say you're going too fast. And it's like 90 percent of the people are there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if it's not, then OK. But it gives, and it gives everyone an equal. But then you don't get into voting, winning, or losing because yes or no changes right. everything. It does. It does. It does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I it had does. a former bishop that 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 did those shy Lutheran ballots, and it's been the best thing in my of my ministry. Yeah. Well, I will say I've certainly enjoyed getting to know you over this past year, and 
and working with you on a couple of things has been energizing. So I, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. Well, I, <laughs> I am delighted. I came here and I felt at home. I felt more at home and I feel like I know more people here in a short period of time. It's just a great place because it's such a wonderful synod that's committed to, I've always been radically I describe myself as a uh, radical evangelical Lutheran mystic. I came here and it's like, yeah, this is the place to kind of not have the the little boxes and really work outside the box. And I'm in the perfect call. And I came about it in a in an odd, long, that'd be another whole other thing if you ever do anything about, <laughs> if you ever do one on when things go wrong in the parish, I could be, I'll come back you and come chat. Back. I can <laughs> chat back. But what I discovered is when things go wrong, if you're faithful to God, God is going to continue to hold on to you and lead you to places you would never expect. Amen. And, and I yep. got my dream call. Nice. So and we'll do it for good. Yes, and that, and that's exactly right. But they, yeah, God, God does it for good in so many ways. So yeah. yeah. That's great. That's great. So thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you about some of the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. what would be the best way to do that? Um, Facebook friend me. Um, and uh, and if for some reason, send me a message because I, I will friend people who I have friends with. But if they don't have any mutual friends, then I am careful. Or they yeah. can yep. go to the Emanuel website, um, Emanuel in Hartford. I also have I have a podcast, um, which is my sermon podcast, which is, um, which is Emanuel Lutheran in the City for good, and so my sermons are on that podcast as well. And um, but they can email me through the church, and I will be happy to give any feedback on that. Awesome, yep. awesome. Well, thank you very much for uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, we are the two bald pastors helping you connect your faith with your life. I'm Joe McGarry. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo, and I'm Paula Mamel. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a blessed week. Bye now. Bye. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. So this was this was wonderful. <laughs> that was a meaningful conversation. This we has got been right to the point. This we has been life changing and just so short and to the point. I love so. it. I love it. I love it.